the biggest Meg I've ever seen. Biggest Meg anyone's ever seen. That's the apex predator. Three massive Megs and who knows what else have escaped the breach. This was a bad idea. Just a little bit. What happened last time? You don't want to know. Ooh, Barracuda. Yo, dude, I didn't know what to expect from that trailer, but I did not expect to see a Megalodon come out and just straight up take out a T-Rex. <laughs> <Yo. laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, like, I've heard they did that, but I'm glad that they visualized it for us. That's awesome. Man, The uh, I mean, the special effects were really cool in that shot, too, man. I couldn't tell, like, if I was about to watch the next Jurassic Park movie. Like, I had no idea that it was going to be a Meg trailer, like, when it started. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and no. Then, it's, and then it all started... of a sudden, the shot comes out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's dope, man. I'm pumped for everybody to hear Steve Alton. Um, we talked to this dude. He talked all about Meg, too. He told us the trailer was coming out, and we should be excited for it. I'm glad that we finally got to check it out and the movie comes out on August 4th. So yeah, I, I will wait. definitely be in the theater on opening night. I can't wait, man. What's your name? Say it. It doesn't matter what your name is. Say my name. What's your name? What? What is your name? Tony. You're listening to Don't Call Us Anthony Podcast. All guest views and opinions are their own, but don't worry, the hosts will share theirs so you can call them opinionated, but just don't call them Anthony. And now, the hosts of Don't Call Us Anthony, Cooley and Tony. All right, well, Steve, uh, I just want to thank you for coming on the Don't Call Us Anthony podcast. Um, it's an honor to have you on. Uh, I have been a big fan of your book meg a novel of deep terror since uh i think 98 when i read the book in high school <laughs> i actually read the book twice uh i couldn't put it down the first time and then after i was done with it i picked it up and read it a second time and uh i remember my teacher asking me you still reading that book and i said no, i'm reading it for the second time he's like oh it's that good I'm like, yep <laughs> so so and then i think he actually went on to read it but i never followed up with him about that so um but with that being said um Steve, would you mind telling uh, our listeners who may not know who you are exactly uh, what you do? You are an author, but maybe a little bit about your background, if you don't mind. Well, it's a, uh, you mentioned 1997 was the year my first book came out, Bay, and I will be terror, but giant uh, 70 foot prehistoric gray white shark called Megalobad. And back in 97, not a lot of people knew that, but you seem to become aware of it over the years, and I'm sure I contributed a little bit of it to that. Um, I'm the author of right now 18 published novels and one uh, rom com called Dog Trading the American Male by a different using a pen name, LA Knight. And uh, let's see, it took 23 years, but we finally got to make movie on screens. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> Sure, twenty movies that I didn't notice. <laughs> and um, <laughs> personally, um, on the positive side, uh, you are not the only teenager who enjoyed Megan High School. Mm -hmm. That led us to put together a nonprofit called Adopt an Author, which yes, teachers who want to take on the book as part of their curriculum or any of my other books, uh, they can go to adoptanauthor.com and sign up. It's free. We provide that with free curriculum materials, projects, tests, quizzes, everything they need. Plus contact with yours truly 
over the years, either by speakerphone into the classroom or conference call, or now, of course, we have a Zoom that we try to stick this to. Um, it, my voice sounds a little shaky. It's been a long day for me. And I have Parkinson's disease for the last 17 years. I was diagnosed 17 years ago. So you'll hear it in my voice a little bit. So if I'm not clear, let me know. Try to keep nice and liquid. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and you you definitely sound fine over here, so we can hear you nice and clear. Um, yeah, I think um, one of the great things is the Adopt an Author program. Uh, I know that my buddy uh, was a teacher uh, in Rhode Island, and I think he had looked into that um, at one point, so I was aware of that program. I think that's awesome that you do that. Um, so congrats on that, um, and thank you for doing that. Um, I think um, one of the, the coolest things about Meg specifically is that, um, like you said, I was not even aware of what a megalodon was until I actually read your book. Um, I was always fascinated with sharks. My number one favorite movie of all time is Jaws. So when I found out that there was a book about a megalodon, I was like, I am all into this. Uh, so you know, and you really, it, it was, it was definitely terrifying. Um, and um, I really enjoyed that there eventually was a movie made of it. Um, but I mean. How long had you just the last time the Meg when the Meg finally came out as a film? I mean, had you ever gotten that far before? What was there ever in the past had there been opportunities for this film to be made? Because I, I feel like the book was very well received. I mean, but it, it took a long it's 23 years. Like, had you ever had ever gotten close to being made before? Well, the story about the movie is that it actually came out, we actually got a, an option for the movie sold the dramatic rights before we sold the publishing rights. And that was planned like that. Um, I in I wrote the book uh, in 1995 after reading a Time magazine article on the Mariana Trench and that married the two things that uh, led to the book, which is an unexplored realm seven miles deep, uh, 1,550 miles long. And um, a megalodon with his disappearance was kind of, bizarre because here was the apex predator of all time and it lived only about 30 million years ago up to almost about 100,000 years ago. So feasibly it's possible that we could be down there and that it's feasible then that makes for great fiction. Mm -hmm. The literary agent that I was blessed to come up with who took on my work, Ken Atchity, decided that we were going to market it as a movie first and then the book. So by selling, he had a quarter, um, we had a first look deal at Disney's Hollywood Pictures. And so they optioned May for about, uh, well, they took out an option on it. And then once that was announced that, that you know, publishing back then wasn't affected by Amazon and things like that, all the publishing houses were pretty strong back then. And so that started, started a bidding war for, for May. <laughs> it happened, I'm laughing because at the time I was working as the wholesale, I was working as the um, general manager at a wholesale meat company, which is a bizarre story in itself because I knew nothing about meat, but <laughs> on sales. And that started out, Ken and I were working together to get the book ready, I think in January of 1996. In March or April of 96, I got a phone call from a guy who said, are you Steve Allies? And I said, yes. I said, I could have been your father. He <laughs> kind of genetic mishap going along. <laughs> That's the strangest phone call ever. Turns <laughs> out the guy used to date my mother when she was a teenager. 
and he wants to meet me. So, okay, what the hell? I get in the car, drive over to his meat company. An hour later, I walk down with a box of plays, and uh, the job was as a sales manager. And uh, it was a bizarre company because he, I don't want to get too much into that, but I did write a screenplay about it called Mince Meats. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> this is all true. On Friday the 13th in September 1996, I went to work to find out that the, the family that was running the place under him, his sons and stepsons, and they had finally come together and united and decided that they didn't need me anymore. We had to let me go. I went home, I think I had, we, we had about $48 in the bank at the time, of course I was too. But I was nervous because I knew that the quote was going to go out next week to the publishing house. But we hadn't been paid yet on the Hollywood Pictures deal, but it was coming and then did, so I was confident about that. But we had a signed contract. So um, Tuesday rolls around, the book goes out, and starts a bidding war for May publishing rights. And that, together with the concept for my next book, My Prophecy, which would eventually become the main, uh, the win bid was Banff Doubleday, who published Jaws, for $2.1 million for two books. So I literally went from the crap house to the penthouse to the phone call. That's awesome. Now, that, that was... Actually, a roller coaster ride because I say, I mean, the book came out. It was New York Times bestseller. The foreign rights went to like 20 countries. But um, the company that eventually bought Dumbledore Burlesman did not like the fact that at the Frankfurt Book Fair, my book was the number one sale. They hated books like mine. And so they ended up buying Doubleday. And what a coincidence, I lost my second book deal. <laughs> well, I was supposed to be paid a lot of money. We just put in a house, our dream home, just bought new cars, and I realized we're going to lose all that. But it, yeah, just we say you go on, you'll get back on the horse again. It, it, and while we have, we're suing over the rights that, for the Mayan book so I could get it back um, without having to pay anything, uh, I started writing The Trench, which is the movie, which the book that's right <clears> there. <throat> Sorry about that. No worries. The Trance is the second book in the in the movie. And that'll be out in August. August 4th, I believe. Awesome. Now that's also going to be uh with the same character. Yes, yeah, same main character. Uh now I haven't read I'm sorry, uh I haven't read any of the scripts for mate too. I never read the scripts for mate one that don't tell me anything. I think when you sell your rights as an author, it let you park the cars at the premiere book. That's about it. <laughs> now you didn't have any you didn't have any input on the screenplay in the first movie at all actually i i wrote the first screenplay myself with 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 bell avery who was the lead producer i had option to yeah yeah she and i are good friends and so i trust her with it as long as she's attached i don't worry about it gotcha gotcha and based about and i was one thing i didn't mention so we had hollywood pictures option before the book was sold the, when the head of the studio was fired, David Global, two years later, the option went back to me. Now we had to find a new company. Innocent. Excuse me. And um, so the best company that we managed to get a deal from was New Line Cinema. And there were like 12 producers attached. It was just a cluster F. You know, I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. 
So they held on to the rights, hired a new script writer, of course. He wrote Mopey Dick with a, with a megalodon. It, literally, that's what he wrote. <laughs> Nothing to do with my story. <laughs> I wanted to jump out the window when I read that script of his. <laughs> Understandably. <laughs> but fortunately, they gave up the rights in two years because they mismanaged the foreign rights. And we got the rights back again. And that's when I took it to my friend Bell Avery. And I said, Bell, take this. It's yours. I could give me a buck. Mm -hmm. She gave me more than that, but she sent me a dollar anyway. It's incredibly. And framed it. <laughs> right, right. It took her eight years to get it produced because she had to raise the money herself, but she was able to do it. So by raising private money, then we, she wasn't able to barrel like the studios keep you over. Mm hmm. But we didn't make a deal with Warner Brothers because they were going to have this tribute for us and they wanted in the project. And good for them, you know, a good company. And so the movie, no, everyone predicted the movie was going to be Bob, except I knew it wasn't going to be, and it was going to be great. Because while I te well, they adopted an author program over the last 23 years, that's a small army, just like yourself. You're part of the army. You're a dickhead, right? That's right. So as dickhead as we have to get to the movies and see it. <laughs> And that's what happened. It was number one domestic and number one far. Now, what did you, what did you, what was your, your feelings on the film once it was, was released? I'm sure, you know, you went to the premiere and everything, but what was your general reaction when you finally saw like your baby, like on screen? I thought it was great. I thought it was a great movie. You know, there's some things in the first act I would have done differently and I did do differently when I wrote it. But, you know, I understand why they do stuff like that. And, and by the way, it's sort of like a rule in Hollywood that you, they're going to change everyone, you're going to change enough of the script so that the new screenwriter has to get credit from the WGA, which is a bizarre role because it's in, basically saying that unless they change everything or change 30% of it, they're not going to get credit. So naturally, the new screenwriter goes in and they start changing things to the matter if it makes sense. But if they want credit, that's what they're going to do. So, All right. Or his view. Now, what was your... You're, I mean, obviously, you, you know, you're working in a, in a meat factory at this point. Um, I don't know what you were. Also, it wasn't a meat factory, although they did have a butcher room. More like frozen goods, frozen meats, some like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I bet it matters because I didn't know here. <laughs> what line from <laughs> No, for sure. I mean, but thank you for correcting me. I want to make sure we do get it right. Um, when you were writing this book, I mean, what was your... What was your inspiration for Meg? I mean, were you always a fan of sharks, or is this just like so you had heard about the megalodon and decided to write a book on it, or like what happened? I was sort of like you when I was fifteen. I I read the book by Peter Bexley, and when I was reading it, I kept I don't know if you saw this way, but I loved the book. But what I really wanted was that open. I want to see the shark. Yeah, it's like he detoured off the shark path so much to fill in the rest of the story. I said. Okay, when it came time to write May, I knew that I was going to make it nonstop action. Mm -hmm. Give people what I wanted, which was, like I said, a lot of shark action. Gotcha. Now, have you ever been, um, have you ever been in a shark cage or been that close to Great Whites before? Hell no. Why would I miss I'm speaking <laughs> Because I want an asshole to get the cage with the Great White. I mean, come on. Well, you know what's funny is like I, I actually I do not go in the water because I'm actually because of sharks because of Jaws, and so like I, I always ask that people you know like 
I was like, oh, I wonder if Steve ever got into a cage, you know, like to, 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 like study sharks at all or anything like that. I, I would never be able to do it. I don't think I'd like to think that I would be able to know myself well enough, but I also think I might panic when I realized how big the thing was when it came up. So I don't know. Like I said, I've had Parkinson's for 17 years, so not of now was going to happen with Parkinson's, but either that tried it before, it's too tempting to the gods that to write main author drowns in the shark cave. <laughs> You know, addicts and drowns in arcade. So um, that's awesome. The fate that kind of lead. So I another question I have for you too is, um, you know, you've written a bunch of stuff. You also have, um, right now. I mean, I, d- I would love to give you a couple minutes to talk about Meg Legacy, which I know you just you're selling, which is like the entire series, which I think is amazing. So I'd like to give you a second to talk about that. That's I've seen it on Instagram on your website. So. Yeah, it was an idea I had because I've always heard from uh, Bakeheads that they, the one thing they really wanted was a complete set of the books in Hornbeck collector's thing. But you couldn't do that because there are three different publishers out for it, and publishers don't work like that. And besides, I wanted something more. Because over the years, not only have I, um, I had one more novel to make the seventh and last one, that's Make Purgatory, but I've also written uh, a prequel, Make Barstens, I've written. I'll write one, and I'm actually going to write two more of these uh, novellas, which are short stories, and fit them into the timeline for Meg's. So because Meg starts out with Jonas when he's 37 years old. Four years later, the trench picks up. There's a gap in there, that four-year gap. What happened? How did they, once they, now I don't want to ruin a story for people, but, you know, there is a uh, uh, big gal named Angel, the angel of death, who swims around in this Tanaka Institute, in Monterey, and what happened to her, you know? So a novella helped me fill in the blanks, and I'm going to write a note, a couple of novellas too. So you got more to the story, and you've got a graphic novel, you've got tribute to the makeheads, you've got a lot of things that I'm going to put in there, extras and things that happen behind the scenes. And so I thought, I can't do it. I am a publisher, and I'm publishing, but I don't mean all of those I have, the rights to a few of them, but Nothing in the contract said anything about a a collector's edition, mm-hmm. any collector's edition with le- full leather as the covers, best of everything in them, you know, the gold leaves to go, you know, size of the pages and stuff. And so that made the most sense to me because then I could give something that really be a keepsake that people would take care of. And I wanted it too. It looked so good when we designed it. So that's what we're doing. If you want a copy of Made Legacy, we're selling one volume at a time. We just start selling volume one, and we'll do we'll have those printed about two months instead of out to about four months. And you're gonna love it. I mean, it's just great. But you can only get it at SteveBalton.com. Yeah, and it looks amazing too. I mean, if you guys have not seen it, you know, make sure to check out SteveBalton.com. Also, if you check out um, his Instagram, you can see it there. It really is beautiful. So um, definitely check that out. Um, so I think the thing that interests me about you as an author is that it seems that you tend to take on things that are somewhat fictitious. I mean, and I've always been into the Loch Ness Monster. So how did the lock come about? Or, or, I mean, that, that series, I mean, is that something that, um, you have an interest in? Do you believe in the Loch Ness Monster or is it, is that just been something that's always fascinated you? Well, let's go back to where you use the word fictitious. I do write fiction so that kind of sits when I do, but 
Right. I write is more like faction because what I do is I research the hell out of it. So I come up with every little detail on it. Nick is so real that it blurs the line between fiction and fact. And by doing that, I've, I've actually been proven correct on a lot of fictitious stuff that came true. With Bay, I got into a fight with this one guy who's uh, set up by the LA Times to, to turn you know, basically insult my writing. And he wrote it, and the, the guy was somebody who wrote the screenplay chart book that I used as a reference for me. But um, uh, Richard Ellis is his name. And he, okay. LA Times were pissed off that Double Day had used the quotes from the LA Times report who had interviewed me, which was Jurassic Shark, which is a great quote. But the, the, the LA Times uh, editorial guy, he was pissed off about that. So he hires Richard Ellis to basically lay a base by book. But Richard goes after me for, well, all in all, in this topsy turvy universe, could hot water be below cold water? What? <laughs> What are you talking about? You never heard of the size of government events. And then, um, and there's no, uh, he made the declaration, you know, no one's been down there since 1960, and they went straight down, came back up again, Beth ski. He decided that there are no hydrothermal vents in the Mariana Trench. Really? What? Good to know. Not that I have to prove any of these things because I'm writing fiction, but if someone comes at me like that and questions my research, I go right back at it. And my research told me there are bins down there because all things in a seismic area. In fact, that the Philippine sea plate is amazing because there's tra deep water traces around every border of it. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Ten years after my book came out, guess what they found in the Marietta Trench? I did throw beds for a shocker. <laughs> he also found the albino sharks down there too. Yeah. Also found some of them that even are like electric, they light up with phosphorescence. And I mentioned that in my book too, so he loses on all counts. Yeah. But better what but what I, I had done my revenge in a way, I, I made a character called Richard Ellis and killed the wall in the trick. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> you get the last word for sure. That's awesome. That's what a lot of people Oh man. Now that they get to love it, they all are vying for being a character and they all want to die. <laughs> oh my god, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I think, um, I, I cool. Did you have a question that I, I just like cut you off? Sorry. Uh, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. I just wanted, I just wanted to say that like, I, I had the, the fortune of actually doing this in reverse and seeing the movie first. Um, and I say I had the fortune of doing that because like a lot of times when I read the book and then I see the movie, I'm disappointed, really, because there, there are changes and. There are things that I like maybe I would have done differently or that I see it differently in my head when I read. But, you know, you see the movie, then you read the book. It's uh so so first of all, the movie was better to me because I hadn't read the book yet. Then I it inspired me to read the book because I was like, Oh, this is this is really cool. I love I love this. Um I'm a big Jason uh Statham fan and um it was action wall to wall but it was uh it was just really it was just such a cool concept so i wanted to read the book and like maybe flesh it out a bit and like it was it was a it was a different story like it was uh it was the same story but they did it a lot they did it differently like in, in one of the things like you had mentioned the uh the hypothermal the hypothermal event um being like a a factor and, and in in the movie i'm i'm wondering because like i i saw the movie once and 
I'm trying to figure out if I saw this correctly, and I don't know if you can uh, shed some light on it, but in the movie, it feels like, I felt like they they used the 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 vessel that exploded as the hyper, the hyperthermal vent. Yeah, they kind of screwed a couple things up. First of all, they were they put the side of the okay, in the of the big nuclear uh, warship, big submarine nuclear, about an LA class with uh, the big typhoon clip. Mm -hmm. That's the Russian. Sorry about that. The big, <laughs> the one named after all the states. But the, those submarines can't get down that far. They were the imploded. Mm -hmm. Made no sense. Why? And the second that. Why was this the sub attacked by a megalodon or whatever that was? If we're not in the Mariana Treasure, are we saying that in every treasure, megalodon population? Right. They sort of like breezed by because they were the goal was to establish uh, Jonas Taylor or you know uh, our star's role as an actual hero who you know sort of lost his nerve, but he loses every single one of his people. So, of course, in the book. Jonas Taylor is piloting a bath escape with two scientists in it. So it's a little bit different kind of feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I really love the movie, um, but for me, like, the book is definitely, like, always going to stay, have a special place in my heart because that is what introduced me to the Megalodon and into the story. So even though the movie was great, the book is, is one, it's one of those situations where the book was definitely better, um, which is, you know, and you wrote it, so, I mean... <laughs> That's something to be said. It is awesome. Um, I uh, I do have one question uh, that I, I I was meaning to ask you because it's a uh, a very uh, it's very important to me. Is you actually wrote a book called Undisclosed, uh, which I find super interesting. Um, and I also was on your Instagram, and I noticed that you have a picture with somebody that I've admired for the past twenty years, Dr. Stephen Greer. Yep. Um, and you mentioned in that post that you had been on his CE5 meditation, which is something I want to do, but I haven't done yet. Um, I have the app. I, I, I just watched his latest documentary. So with that being said, I mean, can you talk a little bit about your inspiration for that novel? Because it is, you know, as you say, factitious. You know, there are a lot of facts in that novel about I, what I believe is actually really going on. Um, I, I think that all of that stuff is actually happening. Um, I don't think a lot of people are aware of it. I think it's a topic that a lot of people get laughed at for talking about, but I also feel like it's a serious thing. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of, uh, talking about that book for a little bit and maybe your experience on that, that, um, meditation, that would be awesome. If you don't mind sharing. Not at all. Okay. First of all, how did I read Dr. Stephen Greer? I was writing uh, the book uh, "Phobos Mind Fear," which is the third in the Mind series, and there was a there was a place in the book that has to deal with extraterrestrials and UFOs. So I happened upon in doing my research, I happened upon his special uh, where he had uh, it was about twenty people testify, and uh, so these were not just twenty people; these were. Uh, you know, Army personnel, uh, scientists, NASA personnel, uh, jet fighter pilots, and, uh, you know, people in the business end of the, the war machine, too, that were testifying that these things are real. 
So I wrote to him and I said, listen, I'm writing this book. I'd like to use some of the, I'd like to excerpt some of your guests and, you know, I'll certainly give you credit. And he wrote back and said, no problem. Go ahead. So I finished the book, then him a copy, signed copy. And then I heard from him, his wife actually, uh, and she said, we're going to be down in Miami. Stephen would love to get together for dinner. Can you make it? Uh, absolutely. That this is amazing. Three days before my wife and I are supposed to drive down to Miami and have dinner with the couple, the, the Greers. We're driving home from a movie like 11 o'clock at night. And um, that, if you read on this clothes, you'd read the story already. We see some lights coming out of the, I guess it was coming out of moving south to north over 441, which is a major road where we live. And there's no noise. They seem to be just moving steadily, peacefully, and go right in over top of us. As we watch, as they go off in the distance, they just fade to nothing, like they had entered a different universe or a higher universe, fourth dimension. Right. We had never seen anything like that before. It was just amazing. We were treated, it was just as a wonderful gift to be shown that, that the, I mean, obviously intelligent, peaceful. I like anything you think based upon the media. And of course, we go down to see Dr. Greer, and it's the first thing out of our mouths. And he said, they were testing you. Anyone I meet for the first time, it's not, it's a common occurrence. <laughs> so we talked that all night and, um, his biggest challenge is that he can't get the mainstream media to follow him because he's listed as such. It's a, it's a challenge because it's one of the challenges, uh, like a um, uh, a blockade of seeing him because he carries the truth with him, and the military doesn't want the truth out there. I mean, this is all black ops, right? It's very real. So I said, Doctor, you're listening. I got a publishing company, A M Publishing. We published several books already. I'll bet if I write a book and it and he and I take all your books and give them a different feel. Like let me let me edit your work because his his work is terrific, but his books are very dense and he's all over the place. They're not easy reads because everywhere. Right. So what I did was I he had a deal uh who was making a cd a film called um uh what was spoke um sounds like i'm disclosed but uh, unacknowledged i acknowledged thank you unacknowledged. Yep. so i worked on his book while he worked on the cell and the deal was that i would publish it for him if he gave me the rights to use his interviews because he, in order to write his book or edit his book i should say i had to go through 400 interviews and pull out the best ones and put him into an Oriatus fashion in his book, which is what I did. And in exchange for that, I would be able to use him in my fictional book. So that's why my book seems so real because 90% of it is real based by his interviews. Gotcha. And when you went out uh, with him and did the meditation, did you ha have any experiences there? Oh yeah, had a big experience. Um, it was about 10 or 11 o'clock at night and two lights came up over the ocean two very orange pale light beautiful one at a time and they just stood out there over the ocean and then it, it and then one traded back and so one and the other did mm -hmm. 
and and then the jet fighters come out. Whenever there's a a a, a um, an event, there's jet fighters right behind it. Because they're tracking these things on radar. Unfortunately, that was pretty cool. Now, was that so? What year was this? If you don't mind me asking. Ah, uh, literally fake. Um, I'm going to guess to 2015. 2015. Okay, yeah, because there is like there is. Uh, I think it was in Unacknowledged. They had, or one of the films. I think it was even in the Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. He has the video footage, and it might have been in the very early 2000s where there were those two orange orbs that were over like the ocean and the horizon. It seems very si- similar to what you're describing. That is what I just described. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. There. It was at uh, what beach was it? Um, uh, was it Northwood Florida? I'll think of it in a second. But yeah, I mean, you watch up on the internet, it'll come up. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, so, do you have anything? Um, I know Meg Legacy is something that's um, that's up and running right now. You're launching that. Is there anything else that you're that's in the works right now? You mentioned a couple things, but anything that you want anybody listening to keep an eye out for? That's the big one. I'm also finishing Lock Three, Heaven's Lake, which is a great, great book. A lot lower and took me a lot lower than I thought. It was four years to write, and it's also the longest book I've ever written. Wow. Help us in this ad in the next two or three months so I get that out there because my fans have been very patient. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they pre purchased the book. So I owe them a bestseller. This is definitely one of them. Nice. Awesome. And uh, your website, I mean, they can everybody can find you at, at stevealton.com. Um, I'm, you're definitely on Instagram. Are you on Facebook at all? Yes. Okay, Facebook as well. Okay. But now, um, please, uh, if you go to stevealton.com, it's spelled S-T-E-V-E-A-L-T-E-N.com. Okay. Uh, scroll down the first page, the welcome page, and you'll see Meg Legacy, what it is, because it's we're only going to print 5,000 copies of it, and It'll be worth a lot of money almost immediately. We did the same thing with uh, May um, Generations, where we published the book and put out a limited hardback release. And they were selling, instead of for $40 each or $30 each, they were selling for $200 to $500. Because people just couldn't get it. Gotcha. Books out there in paperback and trade paperback, but not out in hardback like this. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to pick that up myself. Yeah, I was just going to say me too. Yeah, I definitely want to grab that. Um, I, yeah, I, I just see, like I said, you know, it once again, it's just been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I, I loved, like I said, I love your book. Um, I love the the stuff that you're writing. Um, I really a big fan of um, Undisclosed as well. So, um, yeah, Tony, I did forget one thing. Sure, sure. You've been to SeaLosterCoat.com? I have not. Oh man, that's an amazing site. I wrote it when COVID, just before COVID came out. I had the amazing thirty days, thirty sixty days of just pure um, imagination was going crazy, and, and it like demanded that I write that I put this together. At first, I thought it was just a uh, a TV series, and then I realized it's a lot more because I want to see these creatures. Mm-hmm. Backstory is that there's an island. This is all true. There's an island uh, in the Mar- in the Mariana Islands on Maul, 
M-A-U-G, sounds like Meg, but Mog. And, well, I don't want to give too much of away, but if you go to the website, uh, cmonstersco.com, you can take a little bit of a tour, and uh, you, you mentioned case diving. You get the case dive with Don Leostidas, and uh, the Apartheon and some of these other creatures. Uh, the two stars of the show are, are Snowflake and Layla, with the giant maker of sharks that they, they save the lives of. And it's just an amazing sight. It's funny too, because I'm looking at the the website right now and that whole situation, like that whole island right there, that setup, it really reminds me of kind of like the last scene or like the from Deep Blue Sea, where they were they had like those those sharks that they were uh they were working on in that film. That it, it reminds me of that and like how one of them which was trying to escape, but that's a really that, that island looks awesome. <laughs> like Oh, there's a hotel where you I would, you get a suite in the back of it faces the tank of Snowflake. So she's constantly circling the window and, and wants to play ball. He's uh, <laughs> like 60 feet. That's awesome. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh, well, thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Sea Monster. Yeah. So seamonstercove.com. Guys, check that out. This is awesome. And there's Steve standing in the mouth of a megalodon. <laughs> yeah, I was just seeing that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and a megalodon, like, they're what, 60, 60 or 70 feet they're supposed to be? I think that's 60 to 70. The females were much larger. Oh, my God. And uh, probably weighed 50 tons. I remember Kikuli and I were talking about this before uh, you had joined, and we said, uh, Kikuli was like, how does something that big go extinct? <laughs> <laughs> like you know, you may make you wonder. They don't. They don't go as extinct. Clearly, they go deep because the orcas control the surface waters, but nothing could follow them in the depths. I don't even think an orca could go go more than a thousand feet deep if that all out. I think the the limit's about four or five hundred feet. So, a man can only go about. I think it's about two thousand feet. Yeah. He said, but in bath escapes, bath escapes can go a lot more. But a regular tubular sub would crush under the pressure. You have to be sphere-shaped in order for the pressure to be equalized. So so what's the verdict, Steve? Do you think that there's one down there? <laughs> well, hell yeah. And I'll be on TV major news whether they find it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Let, let's hope they don't, though, <laughs> because then your book might come true. <laughs> oh yeah, Tony. You might have to ask him about uh about Locke too, like just the uh like the belief in Oh yeah, the belief sorry, yeah, the belief in the Loch Ness monster. I mean, did your what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that this that the Loch Ness monster is real? Actually my manager Kadachi was the one that suggested I wrote it and I turned it down first. Because I did not believe it was real. <laughs> it cannot be a plesiosaur because they're thought all sixty five million to go in there air breathing. Right. Air breathing marine reptile. But I spoke to a friend of mine who's a um, paleontologist and a cryptozoologist, and he knows exactly what it was. I spoke to him, and I, he gave me a series, and I said, that's what we were right. So my goal was to separate the science from the myth because they're making a lot of money on the myth right now. But the science says that there is a creature down there. It's, not, it's a modern-day creature. And uh, but you got to read the book to find out what it is. All right, that's fair. <laughs> that's definitely fair. I'll check that out. All right. Well, Steve, uh, 
I just want to thank you for coming on, man. This has been a blast um, talking about your book and talking about what's coming and the film and just, uh, you know, your experiences in different areas. So uh, I appreciate it very much. Um, everybody, make sure you check out stevealton.com. Um, also, seamonstercove.com. Some cool stuff there. And uh, keep your eyes out for um, Meg Legacy. Uh, make sure you guys pick up a copy of that. That's going to be awesome. So, Yeah, the you have to pre-order it and it'll come to your house i'll sign all the books and if you order before uh june but also um the, the a good percentage of the province could have paid for uh research on a new cancer uh option natural and can replace chemotherapy if we get enough attention it was awesome positive. that's, that's awesome. awesome that's fantastic wow. that's amazing i think we need that for sure absolutely chemo's awful. Like I, I haven't. If you know our website for that, I'm now giving you a lot of websites. Goncancer.com. Goncancer.com. On g o n e cancer.com, you'll see everything we have about. It. All right. And if anybody wants to get uh, a list of all these links, they're going to be in the description below this video. So be sure to check those out too. So. All right. Do you have anything else you'd like to add, Steve? I don't want to keep you, but I definitely want to. You know, unless you brought anything you need to out pretty good here. So I want to say thank you both to and if you want to do it again, I would love to do it again. I had a good time. You guys are good guys. And I will always support you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And um we'll be in touch, Steve. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. All right, take care. Good night. Good night. Hey everybody. Thank you so much for checking out this episode, and we truly appreciate your support. If you are listening to this episode, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and rate it to help us share these conversations with others who may enjoy it. If you're watching the show on YouTube, please be sure to subscribe and click that notification bell so you can be notified as soon as we drop new and exciting content. Thank you so much again for joining and be sure to tell your friends, just make sure you don't call us Anthony.